Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we're taking you on a road trip to two of the most competitive congressional districts in California. That's right. What happens in the Central Valley and Inland Empire could go a long way toward determining the balance of power in the House. And Scott and I hit the road to talk with two Democrats, Will Rollins and Rudy Salas, who are trying to flip GOP seats. And I guess we should be clear, we wanted to talk to the Republicans, too. We sure did. Too. We haven't been able to yet, but our line's still open. So uh, David Valadeo and by. Ken Calvert, give us a buzz. But first, Scott, let's talk about uh, California's 41st district. Uh, First, tell us where the district is. Yeah, well, it's a big chunk of Riverside County, and it's a large, long district. It's 80 miles from Corona in the west, all the way out to Palm Desert, uh, 80 miles uh, along the the 10 and the 60, (laughs) with lots of big trucks, I might add. Uh, So it's it's a sprawling district, um, and of course, it's a new district with redistricting. And what's different about it this time around for Ken Calvert, the Republican incumbent, is that two of the more conservative parts of the district, Murrieta and Temecula, got dropped, and some pretty pretty liberal parts of uh, the county, Palm Springs, Rancho Mirage, and other parts of western uh, Coachella Valley got added. So it's a much more purple district now than it was uh, the last time Ken Calvert ran. And he's pretty conservative, endorsed by former President Trump, uh, has a history of taking votes that were against gay rights, right? So how is he running in this new district? Uh, scared. No, I'm just kidding. He's not running scared. But he is he's very obviously cognizant of the fact that he has some new constituents who are gay. Uh, and he, for example, voted recently uh, for a House bill to codify marriage equality and same-sex marriage. He would not have done that, I don't think, previously. Uh, and so it's a question of whether these new voters in the district will think, oh, you know, maybe he's more pro-gay than we thought. Based on the people I talked to, the answer would be no to that. Um, And it wasn't just votes. He also, in 1992, he ran against Mark Ticano, Mm. uh, who's now in Congress. Yeah, we had him on the show. We had him on the show. uh, And back then, he wasn't out. He's now openly gay and, you know, proud of it and all that. Uh, But Calvert basically outed him and sent out pink and lavender flyers with all kinds of provocative things on it. And so the gay community and some of the organizations that represent LGBTQ people have not forgotten that. And it's really mobilizing gay voters in that district. So what did you hear on the ground? I mean, obviously in Palm Springs, it's probably a different message than in rural areas. It is, but you know, there are, one of the most interesting people I saw, I was, what I was going to say is there's conservative people throughout Riverside sure, County. It's a very, yeah, like yeah. there is anywhere, but Riverside is pretty purple. 
But I was so it was interesting. On Thursday nights, they closed down Palm Canyon, one of the main streets in downtown Palm Springs. And I was walking down, and there was a guy standing in front of an American Legion booth, handing out little American flags. And I thought, oh, you know, this guy's certainly a Republican, and you know, he'll talk, uh, probably say nice things about Ken Calvert. No. Uh, he had been a Republican. He was a Republican. He's angry that Republicans are trying to steal the flag and patriotism. He says, you know, Democrats can be about that as well. So, you know, it's it's an interesting district with lots of uh, nuances and cross currents, I'd say. All right. Just a few more seconds until we go to that interview. But I'm curious, like we're hearing a lot. Congressional races often play out nationally. Abortion rights, the economy, inflation, you know, big issues that Democrats are either trying to talk about or not talk about. Did you sense that that sort of national framing is happening here as well? Absolutely. I mean, and gas prices are, you know, very expensive. People do a lot of driving down there. And so they're very aware of that. And yeah, it's this trade off. I mean, Democrats are very mobilized and excited to vote on abortion rights and LGBT rights and democracy. Republicans, not so much. They're 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 uh, focusing on the economy and gas prices and that kind of thing. So let's listen to part of my conversation with Will Rollins. He's the Democrat who is running for this seat. Democracy, equality, women's freedom to control their own bodies. When they tell you what they are planning to do, we should believe them. And the country does best when there is a center left and a center right that that can compromise. The problem is that no longer exists um, in, in America. And I think until the Republican Party can moderate itself, I would encourage every Republican listening to this to consider voting for a Democratic candidate until your party returns to a place of sanity. And I promise you that, look, I am a pro-small business Democrat who worked in law enforcement. I am reasonable. I want to hear from people who disagree with me. And we just need folks who are going to return the country to a sense of normalcy. And I I don't think that's uh, going to be somebody like Ken Calvert, who's taken the extreme positions that he has for the last three decades. What's going to make the difference for this in this race? Women. Women and those of us who want to stand with women and their freedom to control their own bodies. And I think we've seen in every special election since Dobbs that women and men who care about their sisters, their daughters, their moms are turning out in record numbers and giving Democrats a majority because there's only one party right now that's standing up for the reproductive freedom of women and keeping the government out of our bedrooms. I'm su- sort of surprised you said that, although it makes sense because I think you're right. But, I, you know, you're, you're, a for- you're a prosecutor and, uh, you know, there's this contrast with Ken Calvert around January 6th and all that. What, how should voters, do you think, interpret that, you know, the, both the contrast and what he did on January 6th? I mean, I, it couldn't be clearer, right? This is somebody who, even after it became clear that five police officers had died as a result of that attack, called for dropping charges against the people who attacked the U.S. Capitol. And as somebody who played a small role in responding to that attack and seeing the images of handguns drawn on the floor of the U.S. House where the president walks in and gives the State of the Union I just think we cannot afford to have people in office who do not believe that the American people have the freedom to choose their own leaders and who are willing to peddle lies and conspiracies in service of one person. It's so un-American to me, this idea that we should be subservient to a dictator, that we should serve one president, that the country entirely revolves around one person is just an un-American idea to me, and that's not how this country should work. We we have each other. We don't have kings in the United States. I don't know if you—I went back and listened to his comments on the House floor when he voted against impeachment the first time. 
and I don't know if you've listened, but he at the, it's only 30 seconds, you know, but he says that this is all about the Democrats wanting to overturn the results of an election and make sure that Trump doesn't win again in 2024, uh, which is kind of ironic, I guess. Deeply ironic. I mean, this is a huge counterintelligence threat, too, in a lot of ways, right? And part of my job was working in counterintelligence before I joined, um, you know, excuse me, before I left to run. And you see countries like Russia and China seeking to exploit divisions among Americans. And unfortunately, they've got enablers in the House who buy into these conspiracy theories, who are willing to get onto the House floor and spread conspiracy theories um, that are just completely unsubstantiated. It's dangerous. You know, he he has said, and and I think there, you know, there, there are, you know, I, talk, I was in Corona yesterday, I talked to some voters, it was like, well, you know, we, we do need to make sure that elections are, uh, you know, that every vote is counted or that, you know, only people who are allowed to. In other words, like we need to, if we have questions, we should answer them. We shouldn't just rubber stamp an election result. I mean, nobody's debating that people should vote legally. It's the issue is after you file 60 lawsuits and claim that there was fraud and you win basically none of them and there's no evidence of widespread fraud. You can't continue to peddle conspiracy theories and lies to undermine the public's faith in our institutions. That is destructive to our democracy, and it's just completely unsupported by fact. And so when you have people who are unwilling to stand up and say, look, the country, again, it doesn't matter whether you are a Democrat or a Republican, but our institutions are sacrosanct, and we've got to make sure that elections are free and fair, and that were not engaged in this QAnon crap that has spread like wildfire among a huge one of our two major political parties, unfortunately, because some of the leaders in that party have just refused to stand up and do the right thing. You're openly gay. Uh, Ken Calvert recently voted for the House uh, marriage equality codification bill. Um, Has he seen the light? I mean, like, how should voters interpret that? I mean, this is a guy who voted 14 months ago against the Equality Act, which is just designed to prevent employers from firing people for being gay, for kicking landlords, kicking people out of their homes for being gay. Pretty coincidental that he, quote, evolved after Palm Springs was drawn into his congressional district. A guy who voted against the Matthew Shepard hate crimes bill, a guy who voted against repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, a guy who voted against gay adoptions. Um, I think voters are going to see through his BS. And he really cares about power, and power has been lucrative for him. Someone whose net worth has increased up to 20 million since he took office in 1992. There's a lot of enthusiasm for you in this part of the district. You're not as well known. Calvert has run a lot of times over there. What's, how do you, what's your job and the job of your campaign between now and, and Election Day? Talking to moderate Republicans and independents who are ready for somebody who's going to stand up for the rule of law, who's going to fight against the kind of corruption that they've seen in this congressional district from in Corona, where Calvert has had it for 30 years. People know him there. They know that he's used our tax dollars and inside information to fund his private real estate investments. And I've talked to a lot of Republicans who agree with me that we should ban members of Congress from trading stocks. We should ban members of Congress from using inside information to benefit their own private real estate investments. We should ban corporate contributions. We should ban dark money. I mean, that's there's a lot of commonality across party lines on issues like that. And there's a lot of commonality among Republican men and women even on choice, right? Somebody who 
it's great to be running as a candidate now who believes in keeping the government out of your bedroom because that transcends party lines. People don't think that the government should be dictating personal health care decisions for women. And my job is to reach across the aisle and get some of those folks to vote and stand with me in, on November 8th. You're openly gay, and um, that plays well again here. Uh, do, you, do you see it as, how do you see it, uh, you know, with Latino voters, with uh, maybe some moderate Republicans, all these voters you just described? I think voters should vote for the person who is going to do the best job for them, period, regardless of sexual orientation, gender, race. And the reality is that being a gay guy teaches you a lot about empathy and other life experiences that you know you, you wouldn't ordinarily think about if you grew up straight. And I think that in some ways is a really helpful thing as a candidate because you can relate to people who have felt the effects of injustice in our society. You can relate to people who are struggling to get by because they um, have been treated differently because of the way that they look, uh, because of, the, of who they love. And I think you want a candidate with empathy. You want somebody to lead you in Congress who has empathy for whatever it is you're going through because we need more civility in our politics. We need more people who are going to fight for working families in this county where the average income is $70,000 per year and the wealthiest 400 families in the United States pay an average of 8% in federal income taxes and people in Riverside County are paying a heck of a lot more than that. And I think they just want an advocate at the end of the day, no matter what. And that was Democrat Will Rollins. He's running for Congress in Riverside. A reminder, if you've just received your ballot this week, you can check out KQED's Voter Guide with information on the top state and local races and measures. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear my conversation with Democratic congressional hopeful Rudy Salas. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast. With an S. Thanks. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. And this week we are bringing you conversations with two Democrats hoping to flip the hotly contested GOP seats in California, or two of them. There's actually a bunch of them. There are a bunch, maybe a five or 
six, depending on how you count. <laughs> well, you know, Marisa, we just heard my conversation with Will Rollins uh, in the Palm Springs area. So why don't we go to another hotly contested race, this one in the Central Valley, where you were just this past weekend. This is a district that includes Kevin McCarthy's hometown of Bakersfield. Uh, tell us about your trip. Yeah, so this is a rural district uh, in the Central Valley, as you said. And I went to Delano, which is really the birthplace of the farm workers movement um, and a very kind of close knit small town, I would say. Um, And, you know, David Valadeo has represented this seat for a while. He's a former assemblyman. Uh, He did miss uh, a couple years when he got ousted by T.J. Cox. Um, And, you know, he is, I think, representative of a type of person in that district for sure. His family are immigrants actually from uh, Portugal. He, his dad started a dairy farm and the family still farms. And he's a pretty like moderate, well-liked guy. I mean, what really struck me about this district, it is a place where people actually know both him and Salas. They both were born and raised there. So this is not like some unknown entity for a lot of folks. It's somebody that they've known for many years. And whether they like him or don't, it's like a personal connection. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I believe that this part of California has never sent a Latino to Congress. A lot of people think that uh, right. David Valadeo is, as you said, he's Portuguese. 60% Latino in this district this time, though. So that is like, the I think, maybe the most Latino district in the country. And so how does that play out yeah. among the people you talk that kind of ethnic pride and yeah i mean well again i think rudy sells i mean one thing i should mention is that i said he's moderate valadeo was one of only a handful of republicans who voted to impeach president trump after the january 6th insurrection and the last one and standing i think one of two i think standing yeah one. who's still uh who hasn't either dropped out or got primaried um and so i mean in terms of the latinos i mean this is a place where honestly you walk into most places and people start in spanish not english right and then they hear my terrible spanish and switch <laughs> over to perfect english um but I definitely was really struck by just, I mean, a couple of things. One was, as I said, just how tight-knit it was. I was with Rudy Salas at, at this uh, parade, this Harvest Festival parade, and so many people were saying hi to him, saying, oh, my dad used to know your dad. They worked the farms together. You know, it was very personal. And then when you turn on the TV, the ads. I mean, it is relentless. The Republicans are going hard on Rudy Salas. They are attacking his record. They are going after him on a lot of those big issues we've discussed before. Inflation, you know, tying him to Biden, tying him to Democrats. Defund the police, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's really more the economic issues. Gas is huge. It's a big district. People have to drive really far, whether they're farmers or farm workers or working in other industries. Um, You know, there's prisons out there. I talked to one woman who said her family's all been Mexican Democrats their entire life and her son is turning the other way because he's so mad about gas prices. Hmm. On the other hand, I'm wondering how these ads are going to play because I was just chatting uh, with, you know, a woman checking me out at the Ross there and I, younger woman, and I said, oh, have you seen these ads? And she goes, no, I just watch Netflix. So it like, it streaks you that like there's (laughs) almost like different sort of campaigns happening. And I think for older people, the ads are hitting hard. Well, it's interesting about the gas prices because Kern County is like a big oil production Oh yeah, and oil, that's a big part of it too, right? Right. Ag, oil, how the policies in Congress are going to impact those industries. Um, another guy I talked to, I said, well, do you blame Rudy Salas for gas prices? He goes, no, but if he gets to Congress, I will. <laughs> so it's not thankless job out there, you know. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so I did catch up with Rudy Salas after uh, he and I, after, after you know, he went to this parade. Uh, so let's listen to part of that conversation with the assembly member. I asked him to start from the beginning. 
was born and raised right here in the Central Valley. Uh, my grandfather came over during the Bracero program. You know, my dad used to run a crew out in the fields, and growing up, that's what I did, right? Every summer break, every Christmas break, every spring break, that's just kind of what I did. Uh, all public schools, I grew up by the fairgrounds. I tell people, no matter where you're from, the fairgrounds is always uh, the tougher, uh, more working class side of town. And uh, actually, I don't even, I live a couple blocks from the fairgrounds even now to this day, because that's where the family is, and very family-oriented. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, or more about your childhood. So what what kind of farming were you, yeah, what were you involved in with your dad? Yeah, so, you know, growing up, I grew up in Bakersfield in Delano. Um, and, yeah, I grew up working the working out in the fields, making boxes for the grapes and going to these far-off places that seemed so far as a kid, like Exeter and Mettler and everywhere up and down the valley. And uh, I just remember waking up before the sun came up to go pick up the, the work crews and then coming home when the sun went down, right? We would get paid piecemeal. So, you know, a good day was when we had everything up and running and were able to uh, hit our quotas. But uh, when it wasn't, then we didn't really get paid that much. But, you know, now I think about that in my in my role in in the state legislature and now running for Congress is those are the things that those experiences you, you take with you. And that's why I've done things where like I voted for farm worker overtime because I understand that when you're out there in 110 degree weather and you're not even getting overtime, you're the only class of workers in the entire state and the country not getting overtime, like that's not fair, right? When there's others that are in air conditioning that, that get this. And so, you know, I grew up valuing hard work and you value the value of a dollar. Right, and so that's why I try to do so much in our community, bringing back millions of dollars, uh, whether it's for cancer research, uh, the nursing schools, healthcare, um, even building like our new uh, Delano campus here, putting in a brand new building in career tech, and understanding that all of these things that we do affect millions and millions of lives. And so um, I always hold that to heart, and I continue to keep working hard, and hopefully the voters will send me back in November to work at a bigger and a much bigger stage. Tell me about your parents. So your dad was an immigrant. How about your mom? Yeah, so my, my, my parents, uh, so they divorced when I was young in uh, elementary school. But I grew up with my uh, father and my grandparents. And, uh, you know, my father ran a crew originally out in the fields, and now he's a general licensed contractor. So I get roped into a lot of uh, those things and workers' comp debates uh, around the kitchen table. But, you know, my mother works... Um, as a uh, cafeteria worker in one of our local hospitals. And so, you know, I have that kind of background and it's always been working families and, and trying to make a difference for them. But, you know, also understanding the, the value of a dollar and how you got to make ends meet and understanding that, you know, the bills pile up, but you have to look, live paycheck to paycheck. And our job in government is to try to make people's lives better. And that's why I'm always working so hard and working every weekend. And I tell people, like, you'll see me giving out backpacks to kids for schools or giving out coats for winter or uh, helping people do uh, free Vita tax workshops out in the spring because we know that any dollar we can save a family is going to actually go to those essential needs that they need to take care of their families. Yeah. I mean, this is also, I believe, almost 60% Latino district. Mm -hmm. Democrats do have an advantage, but your opponent has done a good job in the past of overcoming that. What are you hearing specifically from the Latino community? It's not a monolith, obviously, yeah. but are they the same issues from everybody or is are there differences? 
Yeah, you know, when I speak to uh, my Latino voters, it's about the same thing. It's about putting food on the table, uh, trying to make opportunities for their kids and opportunities for them to continue to grow either at work or have the skills to move forward and move their family up, right? And the advantage I have is I get to talk to them in Spanish, right? And talk about things like growing up where, you know, hey, we have menudo and pan dulce on the weekends and we come to Harvest Festival and we come to Cinco de Mayo, right? And those things. And, and uh, even today when I said I met this lady that said her husband worked in the fields with my grandfather here in Delano. Like those are uh, the things that I think uh, help me resonate with the Latino community because we have those shared experiences. But at the end of the day, it's still providing opportunities and trying to live the American dream. So whether you come into this country as an immigrant, knowing that there's educational opportunities for you, there's job skills and career training uh, available to you and that you do can have own a home and have a piece of the American dream. And so I think that's what um, Latino voters definitely are focused on. And that's what I've always been focused on is really just delivering for the community. You mentioned you decided to run. You were recruited pretty hard to run by the Democratic Party. And I'm curious, I mean, what is the hardest part personally? I mean, this is, it's a big district. Uh, running for any office is challenging, as I mentioned. There's a lot of attack ads out there. What do you find the most challenging and, and what's the most rewarding? Um, I'll start with this, the second. So the most rewarding is really just being able to deliver for families and actually going through a community and having people like just come up and give me a hug and thank me for the work that we've been doing together uh, to make a difference in their lives and hearing those things like, hey, you did this for my kid or hey, you did, you helped fix this case for my aunt or my cousin, um, right? Or hey, I saw like talk to the school board members, hey, you've brought in millions of dollars for our school district, which prevents us from having uh, to do some other drastic things. And so, you know, those are like the very rewarding things. I think the challenging uh, part is really just, uh, I think mostly for my family, seeing all the negative ads, because they're like, oh my God, and, and this is my supporters too, and we heard it today, uh, where they're like, oh my God, I can't believe that they're allowed to say those things, and we know that's not you, and that's not true. And so, you know, I always feel for my supporters, and I always feel for uh, my family because I have to live. Who takes it the family. hardest in your family? Oh, <laughs> it was my grandmother before she passed. Uh, but I think all of my family, my aunts, my uncles, my parents, you know, um, just, I mean, you, you hear it even when we're in the community and people come up and just say like, I can't believe that. That's horrible. And uh, how are they allowed to do those types of things? But, you know, I tell them, look, just uh, it, for anybody that has a question, just have them type in like Rudy Salas voted no on the gas tax and you'll see all the articles that happened across the entire country right like those like just do your own research and be able to actually do that but I think I have enough validators out in the community with the work that we've done over the last decade plus that um, I feel good on gas prices, I mean, that is a huge issue. It's clearly not something that, you know, you have a ton of a control over as assemblymen or maybe even congressmen. Um, but we did see the governor this week call for like a special session on price gouging. What are your thoughts on that? And what are you what do you see as sort of what you could do in Congress to help tackle that issue and other affordability issues? Yeah, so I was the only Assembly Democrat to vote no on the gas tax originally. And then in May of this year, I voted to actually suspend the gas tax for an entire year. Um, so we know that the uh, gas is definitely one of the issues uh, that we need to do. And that's why we've been working really hard at the state to actually, uh, actually in a couple weeks, um, we're starting to roll out the inflation um, 
checks, right, to help people and their families um, help with the bills. And so, you know, when California has a budget surplus, we need to make sure that we're helping families as much as we can. And I always tell people, my job is to bring your taxpayer money back into our region, because if not, we know it's going to go somewhere else across the entire state. So we might as well bring it back in. And so that's where I've been focused. And, you know, at the congressional level, it's really talking about energy policy and how are we doing things to balance the portfolio to make sure that we're not at the whims of OPEC and others. And are we developing everything that we can here in the United States and moving forward? My thing has always been focused on workers and making sure uh, we make sure that those workers are whole and able to provide for their families and put their kids through school. Do you support the call for a special session on this price gouging question? Oh my god. So for, for oh, I don't agree with with uh, Gavin Newsom's uh, plan, first off, and I didn't agree with Jerry Brown's gas tax either. So, you know, been very clear on this issue. I was like, look, we have the highest environmental uh, standards here in California. Why wouldn't we want to produce the cleanest, most efficient uh, fuel in the world right here in Kern County, where we know that almost three quarters of the state's uh, petroleum actually comes out of Kern County and puts these people to work. Now, I'm also in favor of all our renewable energy. I got $50 million for our local community college and $83 million for CSUB to actually look at what are the future technologies and partnering with companies like Aero, which are embracing like some of the largest uh, solar projects in the entire world and people looking at things like carbon sequestration and seeing what that actually looks like. So I think there's a lot of public-private partnerships that we can do, especially with our institutions, and that's why I fought so hard with our community college and our CSUs to be a part of that future growth. And, and so I'm definitely uh, been a champion on that front and definitely uh, brought in millions of dollars to actually help push us to the next level. You know, some of the issues like nationally that Democrats are talking about include the Dobbs decision on abortion. Um, I think questions over January 6th, the former president, your opponent did was one of the few Republicans to vote for impeachment. How much are you hearing about those issues? The former president, January 6th, abortion. Are people talking about them? Is that top of mind? Uh, you know, for the Dobbs decision, you know, I definitely hear that from the women in the district uh, a lot, and it doesn't matter which community I'm in. Uh, that's definitely something that's weighing on them. You know, I tell people we couldn't, me and my opponent couldn't be further from each other on this issue. I uh, co-sponsor of the bill to, for Proposition 1 that enshrines uh, a woman's choice into our Constitution. And he's a co Valadeo is a co-sponsor of a bill that's like a national abortion ban that says, I don't care if a woman's been raped. I don't care if a woman's a single mom and has four kids at home. And now the government's going to come in and make that decision for you. Like, you know, that's what he's for. And that's what I'm against. And so I tell people on that issue, we couldn't be further uh, further apart from each other. Are people talking about former President Trump at all, or is that an issue here? I didn't even hear it once today. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was Assemblyman Rudy Salas. He is running for Congress in the Central Valley's 22nd District. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Guy Marzarati is our producer, and our engineer is Katie McMurrin. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can find me any old time on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can follow me on Twitter at MLagos. See you next time. Hi, I'm 
Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid. And I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.